0: Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Josh Davis, and we are in part two of our Creation Evolution discussion And we're going to be diving in to origin today. Yesterday, we more or less set the stage for where we're going. And if you missed that episode, I encourage you to go to our podcast platform. You can find a link to that on our church's website, AntiochBristol.com. And there's a link to our podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can find Answers from Antioch there. And look for part one of this and go back and listen to that. We're going to be building each time. So that's why it's important to understand these things sequentially. I'm relying on some of the notes that I have gathered over the years and whether that be through seminary classes that were geared in this way and whether that be through my background in my bachelor's degree program in science and some of those things that I have gleaned over the years of understanding and studying these truths. And so as we said on yesterday's program, that we're going to approach this like a forensic scientist would. You know, they would study the past. They would study something that happened at one time that's not repeatable. Someone that's studying perhaps a chemical or studying some kind of drug and seeing how it impacts tissue or human beings or whatever the case may be, they're studying the present. They're studying things that are regular. They're studying things that are repeatable. But we're in a different branch, and so we're, we're looking to see... Forensically, was there a natural cause to the beginning of life in the universe, or was it a supernatural cause? Was it an intelligent cause? Now, there are these two types of causes, natural causes and intelligent causes, and I believe that we can readily tell the difference in these two types of causes. Let's illustrate this for just a second. Imagine you're walking along the beach. And there you see an exquisite sandcastle. What's going to pop into your mind? Is this a natural cause? Did the waves and the tide and the shift of the sand and the tide just naturally create this exquisite sandcastle right there on the beach? No. You are made to recognize design. And you look and you see... And you understand, somebody built this. Some intelligent being built this exquisite sandcastle right here. What if, uh, this doesn't happen quite as much as it used to, uh, but what if you saw sky riding with, uh, it said, drink Pepsi up in the sky. Now, maybe you're a Coke person, maybe you're a Pepsi person, so... Pick your slogan. You can make it whatever you want it to be. And you see that written in the sky. Do You say, man, look at how the clouds and the rain and the moisture and the light just perfectly and naturally caused it to spell out drink Pepsi, drink Coke. Again, I'll be bipartisan, whatever (laughs) platform you prefer. And so your message is there in the sky. Is that an intelligent cause or a natural cause? Obviously, an intelligent being put that there. And we could go on and on, but I believe that you get the point. And so we can recognize the difference in these kinds of causes. And let's look at the origin of the universe. How did it begin? Was it a natural cause or an intelligent cause? It either had a beginning or it did not. That seems pretty simple and straightforward, doesn't it? What does the science show? Did the universe have a beginning, or is the universe eternal? How can we figure these things out? One great illustration that I like to use is a coffee cup. Now, I I like to drink my morning cup of coffee. I don't know about you, but that's something that I enjoy every day, and, and just look forward to that. It's just something that I've grown to love and enjoy and so as I'm pouring my morning cup of coffee, I like to pour it and let it sit for a little bit. Now, you may think I'm weird or strange that I don't just drink it while it's piping hot. And uh, that's just not how I like my coffee. And I like it to cool down a little bit and, uh, and I, then I can really enjoy the taste and the flavor without burning all my taste buds off. Do you know what I'm saying? And so uh, that's how I like to do now. The scientific principle that is at work there is called entropy, entropy. And basically it's saying that the heat energy in my coffee mug is escaping out into the environment. And so if I let my coffee stay there, open to the environment that it's in, it would eventually reach that same temperature as what we would call room temperature. So whatever the temperature of the environment that it's in, the room that it's in, that's where my coffee will eventually reach. That's why if you put something in the refrigerator and you got your refrigerator set on about 40 degrees or so, the the food, uh, the drinks, whatever it is that you put inside your refrigerator... If I took my mug of coffee and put it inside the refrigerator, eventually it would reach 40 degrees because it comes to its environment. The heat energy leaves and the temperature matches the environment that it is in. And so this principle is at work in our universe. And it's a scientific law. Now, what's the difference between a scientific law And a scientific theory. A scientific law is something that has been uh, proven to the point of there is no reasonable doubt. So we have like the law of gravity. We know that that is a law of nature. And we know that that is working on this world. And we can measure that and we can observe it all over the place, all over the time. There's very minuscule level of doubt on the law of gravity. We're pretty much sure we got that one nailed down exactly how it works and all the factors involved. Well, a theory is more along the lines of there is more room for doubt with a theory versus a scientific law. And a theory can be overturned if adequate proof is shown in that way. All right. So that's the difference between a scientific law and a scientific theory. Now, the principle at work with my coffee cup getting cooler entropy, that's due to the second law of thermodynamics, that the amount of usable energy is escaping. The amount of usable energy is escaping. My coffee is cooling down. The amount of heat energy is escaping my coffee mug second by second and minute by minute as I leave it sitting. And eventually it'll match the environment that it's in, room temperature, if I let it sit there long enough. Now, that is one principle that shows that the amount of usable energy is decreasing. Therefore, there had to be a beginning. Otherwise, we would have ran out of energy a real long time ago if the universe has always existed. We would be out of usable energy. And we know that there is a lifespan for the amount of usable energy that planet Earth holds. And that in, its, in and of itself points to the fact that there had to be a beginning. There are many other proofs that we could look at for the beginning, the scientific proofs. And did you know that Einstein, his general theory of relativity points to a beginning as well? He said that space and time, uh, space and matter rather, equal time. So there's no such thing as empty space it would all go back to nothing there has to be a beginning well we're going to continue on with this with uh, part three and i hope that you will join us again tomorrow thank you so much thank you for joining us today we encourage you to visit our website at antiochbristol.com there you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us and so much more Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.